Let's go. Let's go. Oh, oh did you want to? Sorry. sorry, I'll let you. I'll let you. Next time. I'm in love with you. Snap out of it. I'll have what she's having. Too many guys think I'm a concept, or I complete them, or I'm gonna make them alive. I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind. Don't assign me yours. Caustic wit is my religion. I would make a great queen because I am so stubborn. I say when it comes to stardom and Lauren, there are no accidents. Hi, Karen Peterson. Welcome to Citizen Tame. The podcast where we definitely remember how to use technology <laughs> and press record when we're about to talk to you. I'm Karen Peterson, joined as always by the amazing, incredible <laughs> Lauren Humphreys Brooks. Hello. <laughs> Hi. I'm, I'm so glad that people will get to hear this conversation because <laughs> it was such a good conversation last week. <laughs> It was a good one. Uh, we had a great conversation. We had a great chat. And then yeah. we both just like at the same time, we both were like, oh, no. It was weird how we both realized it at the exact same time. Yeah. <laughs> like, that was really funny. Um, and still really sad. Anyway, <laughs> how are you? I'm doing fine, despite like the madness of this past week. Uh, yes, I'm, I'm doing well. I'm upstate for Christmas. Got out of New York before some of the craziness started, uh, which I didn't intend necessarily. But yes, I am, I'm somewhere else. <laughs> well, good. Uh, yeah, we did have a little bit of a, a weird week, but um, hopefully it's over. We'll, yeah. uh, we'll see. So, um, yeah. Anyway. Uh, so <laughs> we're going to try to not recreate last week's discussion because we can't because it was just that amazing. But, um, <laughs> but you know, we'll, we'll bring you some good stuff today. So one of the things that we definitely wanted to talk about, and let's start with this, and that can lead into our, um, our discussion of first time watches of 2021. But about a week and a half ago, Lena Vartmuller, the first woman ever nominated for the Academy Award for Best Director, and not the first one that deserved it, and not the first time she deserved to be nominated, but she was for Seven Beauties in 1976. Anyway, she passed away at the age of 92, which, talk about a good run. Um, but uh, anyway, so um, you... Lauren had not actually seen any of her films before. And then now this past week or so, you've gotten to discover a couple. Did you want to talk about that? Yeah. Um, yeah. I got to, to watch at, just after she passed. And, and I, I said this on Twitter. I said this in a couple of places that um, I was sad that there are times, there's certain directors that like, I don't, you know, I intend to experience and then I just don't. And then, and then they die. And I'm like, oh, I should probably watch those movies that I've been putting off. Um, and unfortunately, uh, Lena Wurtmuller is is one of those. Uh, but it did mean that I, I watched Seven Beauties uh, last week and this and just recently I watched Swept Away, which um, which has been on my list for a very, very long time. Uh, I think ever since the Guy Ritchie remake came out. Um, <laughs> which I never watched. <laughs> which I, I still seen, haven't. <laughs> I haven't seen either, but I kind of want to now because I'm like, how, what did you do to this? Because I mm -hmm. really sort of want to know. This is a very, it's a, it's a film, definitely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
so so yeah so it was it was interesting to actually get to experience some of her work because um one of the things that i think and and seven beauties definitely has this in more so in a lot of ways than um than swept away is this use of grotesque and particularly grotesque in seven beauties when it comes to some women and the representation of women and it's interesting to see that from this female director um female writer also who is you know making this film that is so focused on masculinity and presentations of masculinity and the the appearance and the treatment of women in her films is really interesting and i'm not quite certain what to make of it necessarily because part of what she's doing is definitely uh using sex and gender as as a dialogue also about politics about class about communism and fascism um and and about italy itself and it's they're definitely very italian films <laughs> uh not least because giancarlo giannini is is a very italian actor uh but I, I liked both films. I, I think that probably on balance, I enjoyed watching Swept Away a bit more just because it's it's a, in terms of what it's showing, it is less serious, although it's serious in its own way. Uh, but there's a, there is a good bit more humor in Swept Away than there was in Seven Beauties. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, but both fantastic films. I'm planning on watching more of her stuff and um, and Seven Beauties in particular is just, it's rough. It's a difficult film. Uh, and I was not prepared for quite how difficult it was going to be, but very worthwhile experience at the same time. Yeah, the the way that the tone shifts in that film is really interesting. Yeah. And sometimes it's kind of subtle. And then other points, it's just like, woo, that took a sharp right turn. And but it does it very, very well. So it's it is. Um, sometimes extremely difficult to watch, but the way that it's cut together and the way that it's paced, it, it works. Um, and it's a balance that some directors just can't figure out and some do it really, really well. So, well, yeah. And d despite those tonal shifts, there is, there's a continuity to it. Yeah. It doesn't feel like it's a jumping around. It doesn't, and it doesn't feel like she's, she's not being uh she's uh, i'm not i don't want to say deliberately she's not like really emphasizing the contrasts of what she's showing right everything, and that's why it works yeah yeah everything flows into each other so some of the i i do i do really like the humor of of him trying to get rid of the body uh <laughs> in in some of the flashback sections it's a great scene and just it's funny you know it's it's funny it's slapstick almost and then you have that juxtaposed against the, the deep seriousness of the um, the concentration camp scenes and and how and yet there's also humor in that too and it's a very dark bleak humor but there's that there's that sense of like this is ridiculous right that at some level it's just like this this whole structure is ridiculous the everything that is happening is ridiculous but it's happening and it's also deadly serious yeah yeah um, one other, cause I've seen three of her films now. So the other one that I saw, which was a first time watch for me this year, cause I had previously seen seven beauties and swept away. I don't even remember when, but I've seen both of them, um, a couple of times. Um, but my new find was the seduction of Mimi, which I think, um, of the three, I think even more than swept away because, <laughs> because in Swept Away, she just gets so frustrating. That's like, there are times I want to slap the shit out of her, too, you know? 
<laughs> like, yeah, knock yeah. her overboard, make her drown. Ex- I don't know. Exactly. There are definitely a few points. Like, I, I, I do like in Swept Away. I'm, I don't mean to interrupt your talk. Talking no, about no, 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 you're fine. But I, I really like in, in Swept Away that you're very much on his side at the beginning because just like, oh my God, mm-hmm. how does someone not push her overboard? Like, <laughs> yeah. And then the, the, I think the audience sympathy definitely shifts and, yeah. and it becomes more, it becomes increasingly complicated as the film goes on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's, it's really effective as, you know, talking about those tonal shifts. It's like, oh, I'm actually feeling differently about these characters now than I did in the initial beginning. But yeah, you're just like, oh my God, oh my God. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> I, yes, go ahead and hit her. Anything that will shut her up. Like, dear yeah. God. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, but the seduction of Mimi uh, is one where he, it's so, basically the the premise of it is that he plays this guy, um, he's always this Sicilian character, um, and in this case there's like a local election and he doesn't want to support this one particular candidate who does not go with his views and is, you know, mob connected. And because he won't support this guy, he loses his job. And ends up having to leave town. So he goes up north to Torin to work and uh, leaves, his, leaves his wife behind and ends up taking up with a girlfriend and rising through the ranks um, in his job. And, and um, it, it very much is a movie that, like, politics was a huge theme for her. I mean, every movie is political, but that's a specific theme in so many of her films, Lena Vertmiller's films. And it's especially um, apt, I think, in Seduction of Mimi and uh, Swept Away. Well, all, all of them. But, um, but yeah, I, this one, I think it's, it's really funny. It's funny to see where, like, you kind of can agree with where he's at. And, like, yeah, you take that stance, you know. You, you stand up for your, your beliefs. But then the choices that he makes along the way become increasingly problematic. And, uh like you very quickly lose sympathy for him. And then as he's making dumber choices, which I think of the three, it's by far the funniest too. Um, But it's like, he starts to, to face down some consequences for his choices too. And so, yeah, there's, it's, um, (laughs) it's, I, I think it's the funniest and it's a little bit like in some ways it's the most satisfying. Well, I, I still have not seen that. I'm definitely going to watch some more of her films. Um, but yeah, that's I, that's one that I'll put on my list and hopefully get to it before, you know, we're talking about this next year. Yeah. <laughs> well, Criterion does have uh, a, a set of them. I think Love and Anarchy is on there too, which is one I'm going to watch next. Um, I think there's like seven of them. Mm-hmm. And they're the same films, I think, are also available on Canopy. So, yeah. I don't think the seduction of Mimi is on that list, though. Oh, is it not? Okay, I, I watched. I, I think I watched it on Canopy. So yeah, I, I I think that that's one of the few that I noticed wasn't actually on there. And I was like, but that's the one I want to see. Oh, according to Letterboxd, it is. <laughs> oh, okay, maybe maybe mm-hmm. I was wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, she. She's or maybe a, they added it this week. Who knows? Yeah, it could be. She, uh, she's a fantastic director, and um, and I, I think I said this. I said this a while ago, um, fairly close to after after she had passed away. Um, one of the things that makes me mad about this a little bit is that one of the reasons why I haven't seen any Lena Kortmuller films is that they were never emphasized to me in mm-hmm. in my film education, right? 
Um, so, you know, back in, in film school, oh, you know, we talked about, we talked about Italian realism, we talked about Fellini and Rossellini and De Sica and Antonioni and all of these directors. And somehow, you know, if she was mentioned, it was as a footnote. It was never, you know, and she's not neorealism at all, but she definitely fits in with a lot of like some of Fellini's later work um, with the Italian cinema of that period. And, and yet, she was she's so often like treated as just oh and she was the first female to be nominated for an academy award female director to be nominated for an academy award and it's like okay why are we not talking about these films as being incredibly important films in the same breath with people like fellini and rossellini mm-hmm. yeah exactly yeah um thank you and so that brings us into our discussion of what are some of the discoveries that you made this year um, film wise and, and for both of us, it's a couple of Fert Mueller films. So that's, that's awesome. But what is, um, what is another one for you or, or a collection of films that you discovered for the first time this year or finally got to see cross off your list? Uh, there are no, actually, you know, speaking of Italian films, so one of the things that I tried to do this year was to watch more Fellini, um, which I have not, I, for whatever reason, Fellini just has never quite connected with me. And, um, and so I've seen, I'd seen a few of his films. It's eight and a half is the one that was, was taught in film school, which isn't surprising, you know, it is a great film, et cetera. But so I was like, oh, I, I need to see a little bit more Fellini. So I saw, um, I saw La Strada, I saw Ivi Tavoni. Um, I saw another one that now I'm blanking on. It was one of his earlier films. But, but in watching it, I was like, I was like, oh, La Strada, you know, this is like, this is a great film. It's brilliant. And it absolutely is. It's also horribly depressing. <laughs> and I turned it on and I was like, oh, I did not realize that this would make me want to die. But thank <laughs> you. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's a great film. Uh, undoubtedly, like, I, I rated it very high on Letterboxd uh, and everything, but I was also just like, I was like, why, why are these so sad? I need to watch something happier than this. <laughs> Eight and a half is a joyful experience com in comparison. Oh, dear. <laughs> well, on the subject of joyful experiences... One of the films that I watched for the first time this year was A Town Called Panic. Woo! Yes, I just recently saw that, too. Yay! Yeah, I just watched it a couple months ago. Um, and it's just so cute. The animation is, is really... It's actually... The animation is part of the humor, I think. Because it's not... You know, it's not, like, hand-drawn. It's not computer-generated. It's from 2009. It's these little toys, um, like the little, you know, old school, probably made out of metal toys of like a cowboy and an Indian and a horse and little pigs and like the farm set that we used to have and, you know, stuff like that. And, and they're animated, so it's stop motion animation. Um, but it's funny. It's so random. It's, you know, it's these two characters realize that it's their, like, they're all roommates. It's a cowboy and Indian and a horse. They're all roommates. And the cowboy and the Indian realize that it's, uh, that it's horse's birthday and they need to do something for him. And then, of course, the plan goes all awry and it leads into just a crazy set of adventures <laughs> that gets increasingly weirder and increasingly funnier. <laughs> 
I, I love how the plan goes goes awry in that one too. <laughs> yes. Like and how they the solution that they find for it and you're just like, oh my god, these like, are why do you think that would work? <laughs> but then what? again, you've got a horse living in your upstairs house, like <laughs> yeah. Taking showers and everything. Yep. Yeah, I, I really liked the sensation as I was watching that film. I was like, this is, you know, it's very surreal, but it also, it's connected. And I was like, what does this really remind me of? And I realized partway through, I was like, this is exactly what, you know, the kind of games that you played as a kid, mm -hmm. right? So you'd have like, oh yeah, horse, cowboy, and Indian are all roommates. And yep. it's horse's birthday. Oh, they got to do something for horse's birthday. And then this happens. And then the entire <laughs> world explodes. And then they go under the water and they're searching for the thing and then someone steals his walls you know all of that stuff yeah yeah like if you've ever sat down and had a conversation with a four-year-old who's playing with toys and ask them to tell you about their toys this is the kind of story that you get <laughs> exactly yeah it reminded me of some like the games i used to play with my Playmobil, and then there and there were mm -hmm. horses involved, and there was like an internecine war between the horses and the hospital, <laughs> and like all kinds of stuff going down. Yeah, exactly. So it's very clever. It's very funny. It's very French. <laughs> it's, yeah. Uh, so that's one of mine. Um, really quickly before we uh, go back to yours, I was just gonna read off a couple of the comments that we got. Um, cause we did have, we did ask like, not just necessarily older movies, but you know, ones from 2021, uh, we wanted to know about those too. So, uh, Mason Perrier at Mason Mumble said, I've kept up very little with releases this year, but I did see Pig and really liked it. I saw the Truman Show, which I loved and is still screwing with me. I also saw all the Chucky movies and the best one was Curse of Chucky, though the best horror movie I saw this year was Saint Maud. Thank you, Mason. Uh, yes, Curse of Chucky is the best one. Um, BC Wallen said, Lonesome from 1928, one of my top discoveries of the year. Connor Grote said, For 2021 releases, The Courier is still one of my favorites. For non-2021, Lucky with Harry Dean Stanton, The People Under the Stairs, and Ken Russell's Tommy were my favorite first watches. Oh, and Censor was a great movie from this year, too. So... That, I'm just making sure that was all of those. So thank you guys so much for, for sharing those. Lauren, what's another one of yours? Uh, another one that I wanted to, to mention, I actually just recently thought of this because uh, Stephen Sondheim passed away, uh, is I think the only film script he actually wrote, and he wrote it with Tony Perkins. So that's an interesting combination mm -hmm. to begin with. But it's The Last of Sheila. Which I have not seen. Uh, and it, it was available for a while. I think that it might still be available to rent on Prime. I think it just came out on Blu-ray as well. Um, it's wild. It's, it's like the, the, the basic plot is that a woman is killed in a hit-and-run accident, or supposedly a hit-and-run accident, um, in sort of the opening sequence. And a year later, her husband invites everybody who was at the party where she was killed like after after which she was killed to their yacht and says we're going to play a game and it's it, what develops is that basically he suspects that one of them is involved was involved in her death deliberately killed her and and he's kind of playing a cat and mouse game with all of these different people and it's funny it is very acerbic it's it's everyone is involved is um is involved in hollywood in the film industry 
and everyone is just like sniping at each other very nasty to one another alcoholics and drug addicts and like her husband is played by james coburn who's a producer and his absolute asshole who actually doesn't seem to really care about her but is just like enjoying the game itself um it's very funny it's very clever uh and and it, it takes some interesting twists and turns so it's it's kind of a a riff on the whodunit but in a very sort of 70s style yeah, I remember everyone was talking about it when Knives Out came out. Yeah, um, it's a similar, yeah. similar, similar sensation. It's a lot like um, some of the Poirot films from the 1970s, where you've got this big cast of famous people, mm-hmm. all of whom are the murder suspects, and they all get stuck together on a boat or a train. Awesome. Yeah, I want to see it. I'll, I need to look for it. So that sounds fun. Um, I missed two more uh, that were quote tweets. So I forgot to click on the quote tweets. So one was from... Tomas Odomino, um, he said, Casablanca, Searching, Singing in the Rain, Crawl, Space Sweepers, The Boy and the Beast, Dune, Master and Commander, and Some Like It Hot. Um, That's a pretty great first time viewing list. Um, Yeah, I want to see some of those for the first time again. Yeah. Uh, And then Brendan at BLC Agnew said, A Sampling, The Tale of Princess Kaguya, Fear Streets, Space Sweepers. What is Space Sweepers? Why do I not know this movie? I don't know. I don't, I've never heard of it. I'm going to search for it right now. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Hell yeah. Uh, Ruruni Kenshin, Ravenous, Riders of Justice, and Titan. So thank you everyone for sending in yours. Um, let's see. Another, another one of mine, this is more of a collection of films, but... And I won't go into a lot of detail because we did a whole episode on it, but I really enjoyed discovering the films of Lois Weber this year. Um, and a couple of them have still stuck with me. I really enjoyed suspense was just so fun. Like, like just such a fun, um, lesson, I guess, in, in filmmaking and, and, um, and creating that tension and, um, and I, uh, discontent is one that I surprisingly have talked about a lot, like to other people outside of, you know, the film world, of, like throughout the year. And, and so that's kind of, I don't know, like they just, her films have just stayed with me, but I really love, um, the blot. So that one yeah. was, was just really, really great. So, um, yeah, I, I so it's one of those things where again I'm not going to go into too much uh, talking about the film specifically now because uh, you can listen to our whole Lois Weber episode, but just in terms of films that I, I watched for the first time that really stuck with me, um, this is one. The Blot is one where it just really uh, every year it seems like I I kind of discover a film or two. Last year was The Big House where. Um, it just really drives home the point of some of the fights and some of the, the debates that we've been having for such a long time and certain, certain social issues where it's like, how is this still something that we're, you know, we're working through? Why have we still yeah. not found a solution to this a hundred years later? You know, in this case, it's the fact that educators have no money, you know, like 
people who are responsible for yeah anyway uh we don't need to relitigate that but that's it's it's the social issues that we're Mm -hmm. still still dealing with 100 years later that still haven't been fixed yeah those issues of class and gender and power and and who has money and who doesn't and who needs money and who doesn't and all of that stuff yeah it's on the one hand it's kind of depressing (laughs) because you're like how how is this how is this a thing but on the other you're just like well you know these are issues that have kind of been a part of humanity for at least since we've been industrialized and and in a certain sense even before that uh, in a different sense before that um but yeah and and it's amazing that someone like Lois Weber was articulating that so well um you know a hundred years ago (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah exactly Space Sweepers, by the way, is a Korean film. Um, oh. It's on Netflix, and, and it's after snatching a crashed space shuttle in the latest debris chase, Spaceship Victory's crew members find a seven-year-old girl inside. They realize that she's the human-like robot wanted by UTS space guards and decide to demand a ransom in exchange. And um, I don't particularly recognize any of the, the main cast, but Richard Armitage is in it as well. Um, but it also stars, uh, and I'm going to butcher the Korean names, I'm really, really sorry, Song Joon-ki, uh, Kim Tae-ri, Anupam Tripathi, and Kim Hyung-ji. Awesome. So, yeah. And it's directed by uh, Joe Sung-hee. It's on Netflix. Very cool. All right. Well, thank you guys for mentioning that, because now that is going in my Netflix queue, and I'm going to watch it this weekend. Awesome. Okay, so what's another one for you? Another first-time watch? Uh, well, another one, and again, we don't have to go into too much detail about this, but because we talked about it earlier, is uh, Elaine May's A New Leaf, which I just absolutely adore and, and, you know, fits in with some of what we were talking about with Lena Wertmuller and, um, and that kind of, the use of satire and parody to actually do something really interesting and, and actually tell kind of a bleak story in a very funny and bizarre way and it just kind of reinforces how much more respect we need to give female directors and particularly people like elaine may and and lena vertmuller who just need to be talked about more and be more of a part of the conversation along with some of these male directors that we just accept as brilliant because they are but these women need to be included as well yeah, absolutely. And this was definitely another one on my list too, pretty mm-hmm. high up because um it was a first time watch for me as well and I really it's very funny, but it's also, yeah, like you said, it's very um serious in some ways. It, it deals with really serious things, but it's very uh very funny in the way that it does that. And I I love Walter Matthau so much and um and it was just it, it, it this is one where it was my first introduction to Elaine May as a director and I was just like man why why has it taken me so long to mm-hmm. see her work you know and it's because like you say we just don't give female directors enough attention and we don't talk about them enough and and particularly when a female director someone like Elaine May makes a movie that then is like derided so Ishtar I think well Ishtar did it it very much damaged her career Mm -hmm. and and she retreated as a result of it as as a director 
And that's, I, I think that in a lot of ways that has continued to kind of follow her in terms of the cultural conversation that people seem to remember that, but don't remember, you know, everything else. By the way, Ishtar, as I think I said when we talked about her earlier, Ishtar is not a bad movie. You have to understand it as a parody. You can't understand it as like a serious attempt at making, uh, at making a road movie. Um, and, and that's something, that's a dialogue that I think people like continue to miss and definitely missed when the film came out. Wait, are you saying that people need to be literate in film to... <laughs> no. You can't say that, Lauren, that's offensive. I would never say that. I would <laughs> never ever say that. Yes, I know it's, it's elitist and whatever. It's just like, no, I think that you should know what the fuck you're talking about mm-hmm. before you say words. <laughs> Yes, yes, exactly. Um, yeah, so let me see. What's another one for you? I have I have way too many. I've been scanning through my letterbox again. I was just like, you know, what what else have I seen? Um, actually, one, one of the ones, and again, I think I've talked about a number of these, but five stars. That's five, the thing is like so many of mine we've already talked about. <laughs> <laughs> you know, talk, talk about films that are still painfully topical. Um, and were made ages ago. Five Star Final is one that, like, I don't know, it just really affected me. And maybe, you know, maybe I, I know that I'm not the only person that felt this way. It's very on the nose, but um, it's it's on Criterion Channel right now. It's a pre-code film about a uh, a newspaper editor who's basically being pushed by his newspaper to just, if he can't find headlines, manufacture them basically. And so he digs up this old um, murder case about a woman who um, who killed, I'm trying to remember if she killed her husband or she killed her lover, but, um, and, you know, wound up actually not being, she, she was put on trial for it, but she did not wind up getting convicted for it, et cetera. And he digs this all up again and basically finds this woman again, this is 20 years later, um, and discovers things like she's she has a daughter who's about to get married who has no knowledge of her mother's past and it's a very intense and, and remarkably moving film. Edward G. Robinson is fantastic um, but there, there's a line in it where a his secretary um, says to him uh, you know it, it's, it's something like when um, uh, oh, a woman being crucified is always news. And mm-hmm. it's just like, and, and that, and she just like encapsulates everything. And she's, and she's essentially saying like, you are bringing this woman's past back up. You are trying to crucify her in public in order to make a headline. Um, and it's, it's such a fantastic film. It's very short. It's like, I think it's like 1931, 1932, something so topical again it's that sense of like we're going to dig things up we're going to slut shame we're going to hurt harm people's lives in order to make kind of fodder in order to create this uh, sensationalism right Hmm. and and specifically about women and about the treatment of women so it's i really do recommend it it's on criterion channel right now awesome thank you um i was looking at some movies from this year that i wanted to mention and uh, I think just in terms of movies that are just purely entertaining, have no real, like, literally popcorn movies, you know? And 
I'm, I just was thinking about this one because I was telling some friends last night to watch it. I have a couple of married friends and she was like, this is exactly what I needed. And he was like, why the hell did you recommend this movie? And that was A Castle for Christmas on Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) Which my parents and I just watched and I am so, so proud that I managed to do it. I was just like, well, there is this movie that we can see. Uh, <laughs> it's just so friggin' delightful. Like it, yeah. it's very fluffy. It literally is just like a whipped cream movie. Like there's no density to it at all. You can predict everything that's about to happen before it does, and that's why I liked it so much. It was just, but it's just cute. It's like a Hallmark <laughs> movie with a bigger budget because yeah. it's on Netflix <laughs> and and a good director and good mm-hmm. actors you know and that that was nice I think that that helps to kind of keep it moving it's just like oh it's yeah. not you know it's not poorly written or anything like that it is deeply silly yes uh, yes but it's freaking and, adorable and Mary Lambert directed it by the way <laughs> so, and so many times during that movie it was just it was just like all right, all right you can buy my castle but and you're just like oh my god oh my god but I have to continue to live it and of course you do this we always have this Christmas party for the village on Christmas Eve of course you do of course they're riding horses at one point like of course they can ride horses why would they not ride horses the only thing I object to the fact that there is no scene of them having a snowball fight or making a snowman yeah that's that true happens that was um, the local knitting circle at the pub. <laughs> I want to go to Scotland and join a knitting group. <laughs> oh my god! I, I have to say, I, I spent many years in Scotland. I never saw people knitting in a pub, but I'm honestly, I'm certain that it happens because some of those cliches are actually true. <laughs> anyway, it's freaking delightful. I recommend it if you're just looking for something silly that you can just, you know, not have to. Not have to think too deeply or, or feel too much because you know exactly how it's gonna go. And, yeah. <laughs> well, I was I was actually thinking about this morning. I was thinking about how um, you know we're so willing to accept some of the cliches of action movies, yeah. But we're less and not say like oh this is stupid oh this is silly you know why am I watching this etc. But we're less willing to do that with rom coms or you know quote chick flicks. Um, and and I, and that there is that little edge of sexism to it because you're just like oh yeah we're willing to accept that like of course the villain is you know someone who has this vendetta against the hero because that's a, an action movie trope but we're not willing to accept that you know of course you have a, a Christmas party for the village every year and now oh and you're the, vill- <laughs> the the landlord of the village and you're just trying to save them all <laughs> exactly. On that note, Barb and Star also. But that's a little yes. deeper than A Castle for Christmas. It's, it's a very deep film. <laughs> it is. Barb and Star is a very deep film. It is. But but after watching A Castle for Christmas, don't you just kind of desperately want Mary Lambert to direct, like, a Christmas time horror movie? I do, because there were definitely points in that story where I was like, is someone going to die? Or is there, like, going to be some really freaky twist? Because I, I kept on waiting for that to come up. Mm -hmm. it does not it does not so if you have not watched it yet there's no scary twist it's just a cute movie anyway what's another one for you let's do like one more and then we'll switch to our 2022 resolutions all right that sounds good well uh i mean i think closing it out for me uh to talk about how 
everything changes and yet everything stays the same. Um, I watched Town Bloody Hall for the first time this year, which is, is a great documentary. It, it, it is, I believe, still on the Criterion channel. Um, and it is a debate, I guess. It's kind of structured as a debate, but it turns into more of a free-for-all um, between Norman Mailer and, and a panel of feminists, including uh, Jermaine Greer, Jill Johnston, Diana uh, Trilling, and Jacqueline Ceballos. And they're discussing, this is, this is the early 70s, so they're discussing the issue of women's liberation, of feminism, of the women's lib movement um, in this kind of debate slash moderator format at New York City's uh, town hall venue. And it's, this is one of those films that like rapidly, and you can see it happening, rapidly goes off the rails um, in, in large part because Mailer basically is, is there to kind of take these women down a peg and that's how he behaves and it winds up becoming this sort of um this argument between mailers very misogynist but very kind of typical masculine prerogative and you know you have to say someone like mailer was very smart this is not a dumb person right so the arguments that he's making are not stupid arguments they are very intelligent arguments and they're also very misogynist and anti-feminist arguments um, and you've got this group of women who are getting increasingly annoyed and are partially trying to score points on him, but are also, you know, actually being like, no, you have to take this seriously. You have to take us seriously. And you have to understand what it actually means to be a woman in the United States in, in the early 70s. And despite the fact that, um, you know, there's definitely a datedness to it. And some of the arguments that they're having are very much a part of the 1970s. What upset me at the same time as like we're still having these debates we're still having these arguments we're still dealing with men who are intelligent men and even in a lot of ways very well-meaning men who just do not understand um the experience of being a woman uh and and in this case you're talking about cisgender women but any woman um in the U.S. and the the shit that we have to deal with, the shit that we have to face, and this was a conversation that was going on in the seventies. You know, as we were saying, this was a conversation that was going on in the twenties, mm -hmm. and you do kind of want to be like, when is this going to end? So it's a great film. It made me so mad, uh, but it's also very funny, and and it's it's it is very nice to after a while basically see these very tough, very intelligent women beating the shit out of Norman Mailer verbally. Like it's, <laughs> it is satisfying in that sense. <laughs> well, that sounds great. I have not watched it yet, but I will. Um, one of the, the final one I'm going to mention is one that you convinced me to watch. And that was theater of blood. <laughs> <laughs> Every time that movie comes up, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that was, I don't know what just happened to your mic. That was weird, but um, it just kind of like, faded out but um anyway but theater of blood was one that I, I know you had talked about it a lot like it wasn't just like this year wasn't the first time i'd heard of that movie but i did finally um get around to watching it and it's um yeah it was just it's I think being on Twitter, going back to things that haven't changed, uh, I think being on Twitter and seeing, like, the way that people articulate their, their opinions about films and, and the lack of, um, of fluency sometimes about movies, 
uh, just made this one just like, wow, this is kind of relatable. Because it's like, there's bad reviews, but then there's bad reviews. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Anyway, this one, I, I, I enjoyed seeing a lot of vicious violence against, <laughs> against critics, which is funny since I am one. But, you know, even sometimes I probably deserve it, so... <laughs> it is it's a very satisfying movie you know it's talking yeah. about movies that just make you kind of feel good about stuff um yeah it, it's a very satisfying movie and and a lot of that really is just due to vincent price like being like oh i get to do shakespeare mm -hmm. i get to do hammy shakespeare <laughs> i get to do all of the murder scenes in shakespeare okay mm -hmm. i'm down for that yeah it's, it's a very <laughs> clever film and um and and price is having a delightful time and diana rigg is having a delight everyone actually all of the actors in this movie are just having a lot of fun um including the the ones that get murdered <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> yes and it's some very very creative uh death scenes so yeah yes yeah so some i i one of the things i like about it is that some of many of them are not predictable like they do some of the kind of common ones the more known ones like the othello desdemona scene mm -hmm. right and then some of the others are just like wait a minute, where the fuck is that from like oh that's from cymbeline why are we doing cymbeline no one reads cymbeline <laughs> there's some deep cuts literally yeah. <laughs> anyway it is on tubi and hoopla so if you have not watched it you can watch it for free all right, so let's talk about uh, some of the movies that we want to see in 22. These can be new releases from 2022. These can be movies that we haven't gotten around to yet that are on our list, and we're going to make sure to to watch them. So um, just to get us started, we did get some submissions from a couple of listeners. So Connor um said for 2022 i'm really excited about the batman the unbearable weight of massive talent mission impossible 7 halloween ends pinocchio Benicio, uh, guillermo del toros killers of the flower moon i'm excited to hear what else is coming as it gets announced and then tim b said nope from jordan peele next goal wins from taiko Waititi. Don't Worry Darling by Olivia Wilde, The Northman from Robert Eggers, She Said from Maria Schrader, Bros from Nicholas Stoller, and Everything Everywhere All at Once from Daniels. So, Lauren, what's one of yours? Those are, those are some good ones. Yeah. Um, I, I've been really hopeless about like paying attention to what is coming out when because time has no meaning anymore. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, Tim, Tim mentioning the Northman, I was like, "Oh, that's right, we got a new Robert Eggers coming up." Mm -hmm. I am, I am definitely looking forward to that, just because I love how fucking weird Robert Eggers is, um, and and I'm, you know, I've we've seen The Witch, we've seen um, uh, The Lighthouse. No clue what this film is actually going to wind up looking like. The synopsis is. Um, and is that this is an epic revenge thriller about a Viking prince to seeking justice for his murdered father. It's just like, that's probably not going to be what it'll be about. Um, but it's got Alexander Skarsgård, Nicole Kidman, Ethan Hawke, uh, Willem Dafoe, Anya Taylor-Joy. It's a great cast. So I am, I am excited about this one. 
Yeah, it's weird because I didn't love either of his first two films. I think one of them is better than the other, but, um, but I still get like, I'm fascinated by him. Like, even if I don't love the films, I'm fascinated to watch them. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. For sure. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard to look at 22 and think like, oh, I'm excited for these movies because who knows if they're going to come out. <laughs> like, let's be honest. We don't know what's going to actually end up getting to be released when it's currently scheduled to. Um, but it, assuming some of these movies do come out, I mean, we're getting two Taika Waititi films. Two, really? What's the two. other Two. Thor, Love, and Thunder. Oh, that's right. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and honestly, between the two, that's the one I'm <laughs> more looking forward to. Um, Next Goal Wins, I'm sure, will be fun, but I do not... Uh, I don't... I don't like Fassbender, and he's, like, the star of the movie, and so... Uh, I don't know. We'll see. But I love Thor, and I love YTT's version of Thor, so, I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can oh, laugh, it's fine. <laughs> and are you excited about Mission Impossible? Of course I am. <laughs> I'm excited. So not only do we get two Taika films, we get two, hopefully, Tom Cruise films, too, because we got Mission Impossible 7 and, finally, Top Gun Maverick. Are we sure? Are we sure that Top Gun Maverick no. exists? I am not <laughs> sure of anything anymore. <laughs> Like, this is what I've been promised. We'll see if it happens. I don't know. What's another one for you? Um, well, I actually, it was mentioned uh, Killers Killers of the Flower Moon, yeah. um, which I have mixed feelings about. And I understand, um, uh, like, a number of people. I, I'm always excited for a new Scorsese, uh, bleh, Scorsese uh, film. And I'm excited about this one. At the same time, I understand why there are issues with it, and I, I will be interested to see what kind of a conversation develops around them. Hopefully, you know, a nuanced conversation, which is, of course, a lot to expect from contemporary film criticism. But, um, but you know, this, the subject matter itself is very fraught when it comes to a particularly a white male director addressing it but mm -hmm. at the same time it does sound really interesting and and Scorsese at the very least is going to produce a dialogue and he's going to be sensitive to it which you know doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be good or that he's the one really to tell this story but I am I am really intrigued by it yeah yeah I am too it looks interesting and I think that as far as older white male directors go he's one that um definitely pulls in people with different points of view and he's such a champion of different voices that it's interesting to me that he's the one that that he chose to be the one to tell this story but i also think he he can do it justice um i hope he can so yeah it'll be interesting uh a big one for me just became a big one for me and this was already mentioned by one of our our listeners but that's everything everywhere all at once did you watch the trailer for that i have not no oh my gosh as soon as we're done watch the trailer pull it up on youtube because oh this movie looks awesome so it's directed by 
two directors both named Daniel, which is why it's a film from Daniels. It's Daniel Shiner and Daniel Kwan. And Michelle Yeoh stars in it. And um, I don't even really understand what the story is, but it looks really, really cool. Um, And she's, yeah, Michelle Yeoh plays this, like, Chinese immigrant who suddenly gets swept up in something and has to save the world. And it's got a lot of visual effects in it. It's got a lot of action. It has something to do with the multiverse, I think. <laughs> like, it just looks, it looks amazing. So, the it that was a really great trailer because I had heard of the, the title and I knew Michelle Yeoh was in it, but I did not know anything about it. I still don't feel like I do. But watching the trailer, I was like, I need this right now. <laughs> so... Sounds exciting. Well, yes. uh, another another one for me. And again, I was just like, what else is coming out this year? And I was just like, whoa, Scream 5. Yeah, that's coming Scream out in like a five. couple weeks. Yeah, I know. It's just like, which is actually, it should be 5 cream. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know. Hello. I don't know it was right why, there. I don't know, like, why they're pushing the, no, it's called Scream. It's just like, no, it is not. It, it, it never was. Nope. Um, you know, again, I think this is going to be the first, yeah, it'll be the first Scream film without Wes Craven, uh, mm-hmm. which is, you know, worry-making. But at the same time, I'm interested, and I, I really hope that they do it justice, but I, I am excited to see it. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, I mean... I love the Scream films. It's crazy that it had its 25th anniversary this year, the first one, because just, I was, I was an adult <laughs> when the first movie came out, technically, and it just, eh, I can't believe it's been 25 years, but I love that franchise. We've talked at length about how much we love that franchise, and while I am a little bit nervous to see it go on without Wes Craven, I would have still been skeptical of it even if he was directing just because even though he has a lot of really great films um you never know when a new sequel comes if it's gonna if it's gonna work or not so yeah yes i i I hope that it does justice to the franchise because i've enjoyed every single one of the scream films so don't don't fuck this up for me (laughs) darn right okay um did you have any other, like, 22 releases that you wanted to talk about? I have one more. Um, the... I, I just had one, and now I forgot about it. God damn it. Oh! <laughs> this, this one, I can't really say that I'm excited about it anymore, but I really just want it to come out so that I can see it and put it behind me. Death on the Nile. <laughs> I really just want this yeah. movie to come out. And, I mean, I feel, so, I feel sorry for this movie, honestly, because it's not this film's fault <laughs> first there was the pandemic and then army hammer is a serial killer or something we don't know but he's a horrible human being and now and now it's just like okay what i mean i'm certain that this one was just going to get dumped somewhere but just release it just release it so we can see it and and let it be over with and we can all move on with our lives <laughs> yeah exactly like <laughs> Yeah, it's it's just kind of this, like, weight on their shoulders they just need to get rid of. It's just like, guys, do something with it, please. <laughs> just rip off the band-aid. Just do it. 
<laughs> I mean, the movie itself cannot be worse than the buzz surrounding it, so... <laughs> yeah. I I am re- I reasonably expect that the film is going to be fun, actually. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. it just has all of this baggage attached to it. Um, yep. Again, no fault of the film itself, but wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's rough. <laughs> um, one of mine uh, that I people were talking about it but it wasn't until you sent me the trailer that I was like oh okay I want to watch this and that was The Lost City yeah (laughs) with Sandra Bullock Channing Tatum, Daniel Radcliffe super hot like forest dwelling Brad Pitt um yeah this this looks so much fun I think you were absolutely right when you said it looks like Jewel Jewel in the Nile or Romancing the Stone um like, it just kind of has that vibe to it. So it's like, yes, I am there. And, well, and it's so funny because it was, like, just a few weeks ago, um, somebody, like, I was in a conversation with somebody about Channing Tatum for some reason. And I was just like, I don't know why he doesn't do more comedies. He's really funny when he does comedies. And then it was like, then we got that trailer for Dog, which, I mean, that's not going to be good, but... <laughs> It looks like it's got some, you know, he's trying to be funny. And then this one. I was like, this is what I'm talking about. This is the movies that he needs to be making. So, yeah. Yep. Yes, I'm I'm looking forward to that as well. And and also, also I said this before, props to Sandra Bullock, who's like 57 years old and her mm-hmm. leading man is 41. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad to see that. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yep, 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 yep. So those are some 22 releases we're excited about. Lauren, are there any uh, non-new movies uh, that you have on your list or filmmakers you'd like to explore, genres you want to dive into more? What are some of your resolutions for 22? Uh, I, I want to watch more Czech New Wave films. I've seen a few of them, and um, and I've always enjoyed them. I really, I really like a lot of just... generalizing Eastern European filmmakers, Polish and and Czech and Slovak filmmakers. Um, And, and I want to see more of those because they're, they're fascinating films and have a great dark sense of humor. A lot of the time, very, um, very dry sense of humor. (laughs) Uh, And and so I definitely want to watch more of those. I, I also do like a, big gap in my film knowledge is um is particularly italian films post neorealism so as you're getting into the 60s and 70s and um and getting into films like the ones that are made by lena Bartmuller, it seems like there's a shift that happens in italian filmmaking i've seen a lot of giallo films but i haven't seen a lot of just some of the more art house or more mainstream films from italy in that period Hmm. cool uh, one of mine, and we did this on Citizen Dame on the website a couple years ago, back when we still had Kristen and Kimberly with us. Um, and at the time, I had set one of mine to watch just more films from India. And I never really did that. Like, that just kind of never happened. So this is the year. I really do want to explore more um, more films from India because that film industry is huge in in some places in some ways it's be- it's bigger than the industry here in Hollywood it just doesn't get as much attention so uh there's so many different i mean they have all the different ty- we have this view in our minds of like the bollywood film but they have lots of different genres and types of films too and um 
Yeah, and so I really want to to dive into more of those. That's a great idea. Yeah, I, I'm very light on Indian films as well. Uh, yeah. Some of it, honestly, I'll be completely honest, some of it is length. Because um, even some of the non-Bollywood, some of the older films are still like two and a half hours long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they tend to they tend to not be short, but it's pretty cool because Netflix has really, and we can say all kinds of things that are not positive about Netflix, but I think that their commitment to um, international film, uh, especially with like some of the South Korean stuff that we're seeing more of now and Indian film, um, it, it's really great so there's lots of stuff that's available on netflix but it's also just in general becoming easier to to find and access um films from lots of parts of the world so yeah yeah did you have any others um actually it's funny that you mentioned korean films because i was just thinking like i have not seen many korean films (laughs) um again one of those big industries and and it's a younger industry in a lot of ways um, but, you know, and I've seen some of the, the big ones, particularly the ones that get a lot of play in the United States, but the, the fact that we have a lot of, ac- like you're saying, a lot of access to different kinds of films, um, and ones that aren't getting, you know, big theater releases in the U.S., I do want to try to watch more Korean films. Again, not bad on their horror films, mm-hmm. but some of the more mainstream films, not, so, like, mainstream films, art house films, etc., not as strong, and, and I would really like to try to get into those more. Awesome. Um, as far as actors or, or anything like that, I really want to see. Um, I'm very underwatched on the films of Anime Wong, and so I really want to dive in and and see uh, some of her work this year. I mentioned this last week. Start with Shanghai Express. Yeah, I need to. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, I was going to say. You know what? I have not. That was one that was like on my list and then I didn't watch it and now it's hard to find. So, but Just I buy will. the collection. Yeah, it's it's very good. It is a very good film. Awesome. Thank you. Do you have any uh, any actors or actresses you'd like to explore no particular actors or actresses i i do want to just generally see more female filmmakers i keep on trying to get more female filmmakers into my lineup and then i tend to suddenly fall back on like hitchcock uh and and yeah i i really do want to say i i am hoping that the renewed interest in female filmmakers generally in the united states is going to mean that we will see more of those films getting restored and released. Mm -hmm. Um, Because one of the issues is that, you know, someone like Dorothy Arzner, where she has this whole body of work, but we only see, you know, a few of her films and others are like in very weak public domain prints or aren't available at all. And it would be nice to actually see those get restored and be able to experience them the way that we should experience them. You know, it's, it's tough being like oh this is a great filmmaker when you have to watch their film in like a poppy audio barely digital transfer yeah exactly i think it was b peterson had a podcast and was um working through a lot of films from like just underknown or marginalized directors and stuff and um they had put together a collection that of course they don't have the rights to it so they can't like distribute it but um that took a lot of work just to even track down um 
track down some of some of her stuff and there were other things that they weren't even able to get access to from Mm -hmm. from arsner so yeah i agree with you yeah that that's one of my big things too this year is i just i every year i try to seek out some films from female directors that i haven't seen before and i i think personally i would like to get to the point where at the end of the year i've seen more films directed by women than men yes that would be nice Mm mm-hmm That'd be nice. I I also will say, I think I'm going to do, I don't know what they're calling it exactly, but January. (laughs) What's that? Uh, Watching Giallo films in January. Oh. Um, You know, we've had November, we get spooky season, but yes. (laughs) Uh, Because, yes, yes, listeners, I have watched many Giallo films, despite that one random guy who still makes me mad, um, claiming (laughs) that I've only seen Suspiria. Fuck you. Uh, but I haven't seen enough and I want to see more. So, uh, yeah, I might try to do that this, this January. Cool. Yeah. There, there, you were right when you directed me, there's still a bunch on shutter. I need to, I need to jump in. So yeah, cool. All right. Any final thoughts before we wrap things up? No, watch more movies, watch movies by what get out of your comfort zones. It's so easy to fall into kind of a rut. Like I say, I always fall back on certain types of films, but there's so much good stuff out there. And, and like you were saying, Karen, it's so available mm-hmm. now. There's so many different things that we can watch. And it can be difficult to figure out what to watch. Yeah. Um, and what is, you know, worth seeing and what isn't. But, you know, start somewhere at least. Yeah, that's that's a lot of times my biggest problem is like I literally have basically a subscription to everything you could want to pay for. And there are times where I'm just like, I I, I have too many choices. I need to narrow this down. Yeah, <laughs> Twitter what helps sometimes. I'll be like, should I watch this or this? You know, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's it's that's that's the biggest challenge sometimes is that there's too many options. So. But that's a good challenge. I, I would prefer that to not being able to access things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Definitely watch more movies. Watch more movies directed by women. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all so much for for listening and for supporting the show over the year. We do have a couple of more episodes we're going to have as we finish things out. You know, we do want to talk about some of our favorite things from, from 22 uh, or sorry, 2021. I'm already a year ahead. <laughs> I just really want the pandemic to be over. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, but yeah, so, but we do want to thank you all for your support. We especially want to thank our patrons who helped keep the show going and helped us with the ability to transition to a website that is on its way to becoming beautiful. I know it's a little bit clunky right now and it doesn't look pretty, but it will just trust us on this. It's coming. So, uh, yeah, but anyway, special thanks to Adriana, Ali, Connor, Heather, James, Kathleen, Cariata, Mason, Matt, Michelle, Monty, Nanina, Robert, Robert, Steve, Sharon, Tao, and Will. And if you would like to join our Patreon and um, become one of them, that's patreon.com slash citizen dame. One of the things in 2022 is we are going to have I know we say this all the time, but we really are going to have more bonus episodes, more bonus content that's not even necessarily episodes that will be coming to patrons. So, uh, Patreon. So, yeah. Um, 
our Zazzle store is going to be getting a makeover too. We've got lots of big changes that are coming. So, but for the time being, Zazzle's still the same. Zazzle.com slash citizen dame pod. And our Ko-Fi is co-fi.com slash citizen dame. To find more of our written work, you can go to citizendamepod.com. And if you'd like to email us, that's citizendamepod at gmail.com. You can also find us on the social medias. That is Twitter and Instagram at citizendamepod and letterboxed at citizendame. Lauren, where are you? I am on Twitter, Instagram, and letterboxed at lhbusiness. And I am on Twitter, Instagram, and letterboxed at Karen M. Peterson. So thank you all so much, and we will catch you next time. Bye.